Bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases are loaded. Your team's down three to zero. What are you doing? Uh, how many strikes are there? There are two strikes. I think it's two and two. It is two and two. Uh, I am swinging for the fences. And do you connect? The ball is low. It's a fastball uh, at the bottom of the zone, but I know it's coming, and I tee off on it like a golf swing. It's out of here, just uh, just to the left of center. Like uh, 445 feet or so, would you say? Roughly, yeah. Oh, man. Hey, you know, that sounds remarkably similar to something I saw this week. Did it? <laughs> yeah, man, David Bodie. I don't know if you saw. Actually, I do know that you saw because we're both Cubs fans. But that bottom of the ninth walk-off grand slam, that was really something. It was incredible. I uh, I have watched that video... More than I've watched the episodes that we're going to talk about tonight. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Emotions are running high this week, people. So I hope that you are all ready for a a charged episode of Podventure Time. Yeah, we're still coming at you with the adrenaline from from David Bodie's smash. Yes, sir. But really, what episode of Adventure Time is without adrenaline and, and hijinks and the like? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're coming at you... Just guns blazing every episode here. So get ready for another, yet another, <laughs> pew pew, bar, yet another barrage of talking and emotion and over analysis and tangents. That's right. That's because this is our podcast. Yeah. It's called Podventure Time. It's the podcast where we watch Adventure Time. And uh, I try to make you into a fan because I love the show already. So we are. Over two seasons in now, we talked about the first two episodes of season three last week. Yeah. And I think we might as well just jump into episodes three and four from season three right now. How's that sound? Yeah, let's do this. All right. Well, then let's jump straight in, Ben. We've got season three, episode three. It's called Memory of a Memory. All right. Memory of a Memory. So uh, as you may have guessed from the title, this Episode focuses around Finn and Jake and adventure involving, involving, that's a word now, um, involving the memory of someone they care about very much. It is Marceline, the vampire queen. It is Marceline's first uh, appearance in season three. Yeah, one of my favorites. Um, this episode is, I liked it a lot, by the way, coming, just, I'm going to say that out of the gate. I think this was a really, really good episode. Um, the, Basis is that uh, we jump right into the action. Finn and Jake are racing to Marceline's house. They're being directed there by some unknown wizard who is urging them onward, saying that she's in danger. And they get to Marceline's house and find her lying unconscious on her floor. And the wizard explains that she cast a sleep spell on herself by accident. And I think through some sort of recursive property of magic she cannot exit from her own sleep spell so she was trapped in eternal slumber if she if someone doesn't uh help her out if someone doesn't knock her out of that infinite loop of of magic sleepness and the only way to save her 
is to do Inception. Uh, yeah, you're right. It is. Um, I hadn't thought of it that way. But they do. They have to go into her memories. They have to. They, they have to co co dream with her, uh, or whatever they called it in Inception. Fewer rock and sound effects in this than there are in Inception, but you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna look right now. This came out in. 2011. I think that's before Inception, right? Can we accuse Christopher Nolan of stealing from Adventure Time? Oh, we certainly can accuse him of it. Yeah. Yeah. Baseless accusations. <laughs> baseless <laughs> accusations is, can be definitely a foundation of this podcast. Yeah. If we can't make scurrilous accusations, then why do we even talk into microphones? That's right. Um, so uh, the wizard says that he will help them uh, enter her memories and then once they're in there, they have to find the memory that of her, they have to find the memory of her casting the spell and then extract it from her memory. And once they do that, she will be uh, awoken from her sleep. And so, so uh, I, I feel like I need to chime in here and just yeah. <laughs> let the world know that our accusations were extremely scurrilous. Inception came out in 2010. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, unless, uh, unless Christopher Nolan was, you know, watching early cuts of Adventure Time episodes before they were released to the general public, I'm afraid that, uh, we're going to get the, uh, we're going to get some nasty letters from his attorneys in the mail real soon here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I hope that the, I hope that the majority of listeners for the podcast are Christopher Nolan lawyers. I would love that. <laughs> so, uh, the non inception, uh, or perhaps the inception inspired, we could even say scene has been set. Why are you making scurrilous accusations against the creators of adventure time? <laughs> because that's what I do. Oh, okay. Well, as your attorney, I'd advise you to watch it. Uh, I am going to, as, as my attorney, you're going to have to tackle me from this microphone, I think. So, cause they're just going to keep coming tonight. Well, I've got the tapes anyway. Yeah, that's true. So the, um, so they're in her brain. Yeah. They're ready to go on their adventure into her mind and they get in there, uh, magically and they are, were, this part felt from here on out, this episode felt like man, like really artistic to me, frankly, like really interesting and, um, I don't know, really engaging. I really liked this. Um, yeah, there's a lot of information here. Yeah. Information, but also just the way it was like creatively presented, I thought was excellent and it'll be tough to do it justice in a non visual medium such as ours. So I highly recommend that people go and like watch this episode because it's it's really cool. Yeah, when they do reach the memory core and it's just their silhouettes, I thought that was really great. Yeah. Um but essentially what is going to happen what happens through this episode is that Finn and Jake have to walk through vignettes, I guess we'll call them little memory vignettes and it's very abstract. It's very like sure. it's um I don't know. It, it, I, I don't want to I don't want to put too much of a weird visual or like a too much of a something in people's heads, but I'll use the word like Dolly esque kind of like, basically what I mean is like the worlds that they're walking through they're not, they don't adhere to physics and like normal physical properties of our world because they are magical dream worlds. And, but basically every, every scene they walk through represents in some way, a memory 
that Marceline has had. And so we get to see them walk through essentially a series of scenes that represent um, major moments in her life. So in this really creative way, we get to learn a ton about the backstory of Marceline in just little quick vignettes. But like, yeah, I think we... I think we see uh, sort of the emotional highlights and lowlights of Marceline's life as Finn and Jake are strolling through her memories. These all seem to be important moments that have taken place. Yeah, like defining emotional moments of her life. Yeah. So we start off with little girl Marceline. R- little girl Marceline, who lives in a uh, dilapidated sort of fantasy trailer park kind of situation. And... And fantasy by, I mean, like, she's a vampire. Like, it's not like she lives in, like, a an amusement park kind of tra- trailer park situation. But it's just, like, run-down, run-down area, basically. Um, and she has, she we meet her, and she is very adorable, but still has the same kind of, like, Marceline tube that we are accustomed to meeting at this point. And she, but she is holding something. She's holding something very sweet. It's a very ratty and... uh just roughed up teddy bear. Well-worn. Well-worn. That's the word. Thank you. Um, a well-worn teddy bear. And it's missing an eye. And we see a very adorable scene where she um, plays doctor and sews an eye back on him by plucking a button from her own overalls to give him an eye. And she uh, she says something really kind of like cute and creepy at the same time, which I think little kids are very capable of doing. And she says, uh, as she's sewing this eye onto him using her last bit of string or last bit of thread that she has, and she says, um, I hurt you because I love you. Yeah. And I don't know why. I don't know why, but that stuck with me. Um, and I think it's meant to stick with you as something that may be, um, a defining characteristic of Marceline going forward because we certainly have seen Marceline torture Finn, uh, and run, put him through some paces. I think. In her eyes, probably out of the name of affection and, and yeah. caring for him. Um, yeah, I didn't even make that connection, but that's that's great. Yeah, she definitely uh, has been known to hurt the people that she loves. Um, yeah, wow, I didn't make that connection. Now, let me ask you this, and, and I'm going to probably have to do this several times. Yeah. There's a lot of information in this episode. There's also lots of information in the visuals. Did you notice the background of the scene with young Marceline? Uh, only... Probably, uh, probably not in a, a great amount of detail. Only as like I got the vibe of it. I didn't look at the details. What, what did you think the vibe was? Um, so they ended up. They it's sort of like wooded area, but like campground. Like I don't know. Like so, I'm gonna say some words, but none of these are like completely describing it. But it felt like abandoned campground slash RV park in the woods um, and no one else lived there almost like it was just her. Like I didn't get the sense that there was actually a community around her. So either her and her dad who we've met before lived there or just she lived there. I couldn't quite tell. Yeah, she, she did definitely seem to be alone. And uh, you know, I have the advantage of having watched these episodes many, many times and I'm not actually going to tell you, what I noticed in the background. Um, okay. I'm just going to let it, you know, sort of sit there in your subconscious because I know you saw it. But uh, eagle-eyed listeners out there may have noticed that we get a little bit of information from the background in this scene. 
Uh, but yes, they, they encounter young Marceline. She's sewing up Hambo. She appears to be all alone, taking care of herself and her teddy bear. And they ask young Marceline if she knows where the memory core is, uh, but she just has a different suggestion for them. No, she just says, nope, I don't. Uh, but you could go through that cellar door. And she says, that rhymes with memory core. So I think she says something like, but there might, she says something like, there's probably something inside that cellar door. <laughs> just like, there's probably something there. So uh, they open it up. A uh, little cellar door uh, off to the side, and they open it up, and sure enough, there is, it's a doorway to a new memory, a new scene, and they dive right in. And we just sort of uh, start start going through scenes of Marceline's life more rapidly. Now yeah. we see uh, various things as they sort of wander and fall from scene to scene, memory to memory of Marceline's lived experiences. Yeah, and, you know, some of them are... Um, let's see, one of the first ones they go through, is this where, uh, do we see her dad as they fall through this one? I think that's what they see in this one, right? Yeah, we see her dad eventually. I think we go through one that's just mundane where Marceline picks her nose and then they, they fall out into a restaurant kitchen and they see her dad eating her French fries, which as listeners will know, is the subject of the song that she sang in the first episode of season two expressing her daddy issues right i have to admit i did not remember that i know that jake whispers or finn whispers as they see the dad kind of they're kind of a they're always observers i guess we should say that like finn and jake can interact with these memory scenes but they sort of just act as like observers during this portion of the episode um but they kind of whisper as they see the dad eat the french fries, one of them says, like, don't eat those. Yeah, it's it's Finn. And, yeah. and so, yeah. The, I didn't get the significance of it. So thank you for bringing that back. I uh, I, had, I had forgotten. Yeah, the, the song that Marceline sings is, Daddy, why did you eat my fries? And it goes on from there. So that's, that's a, uh, it's a formative moment in her life. Yeah. Because we do see her uh, appear and catch her dad eating her fries. And she says... Dad, why are you doing that? Yes. Um, and But then we move on. We don't, we don't. They don't stick around to watch it play out. Yeah, we see that scene of betrayal, but we don't linger. Right. And the very next scene we see is the treehouse. And we see Marceline moving in. Because if uh, listeners may remember that Marceline uh, was the, the... When we first met her, it was because she was coming back to the treehouse uh, where Finn and Jake live because she is the uh, original inhabitant of the treehouse. It was one of the many things that she carved an M into thereby claiming it forever. Right. And so we see her moving in to the treehouse and we kind of infer that perhaps she has moved out from her dad's place because of the emotional betrayals. And so she's moving out and living on her own now. Well, not actually not on her own. She's moving in with... Yeah, exactly. She's not on her own. Yeah, she's moving in with a, a boyfriend who we learn his name is Ash. And they are having a very cute domestic moment of like moving some furniture into a new place together. And they kind of collapse uh, exhausted on this comfy chair together and kind of cuddle. And he makes a magic little rose for her that says something adorable like, I love you, Marceline. And it's... I, it, 
I can't quite tell if Ash is a another vampire or if he is just another magical being. He clearly has magic powers, but I don't know if he's a vampire or not. Yeah, I don't think he's a vampire. I think I he he's a wizard, and okay. I couldn't tell you what his provenance is, though. Uh, yeah, I guess I couldn't either. Um, he conjures things. Conjuration is that a thing? I'm not sure. So he is a magical wizard then who is a, a teenage age just like her they're both like i mean age is kind of weird when we're talking vampires but she seems to be a teenager age com- in a comparative or early er, late teens early 20s kind of like compared to a human time lifespan yeah her behavior is certainly that of someone who should be moving in with someone or at least she's not obviously too young for it i think mm-hmm. that they're you know her her age gets kind of confusing throughout this whole thing but she doesn't behave like you know a teenager i definitely think that she she acts like someone who's in her 20s they act like a couple that is ready to move in with one another i would say sure uh and so that's what we watch and finn and jake are kind of intrigued to see this happen and they see her cuddling and being very affectionate, more affectionate than she has ever been outwardly to Finn or Jake, certainly. Yeah, I think they get a little jealous. I think Jake gets a little protective of Finn and Finn gets a little jealous. Yeah, but they do move on and we move on to a, a new scene after this to uh, a new scene with Ash, right? Yes. So yeah. he takes Marceline up to his house Mm-hmm. And then I think we jump forward in their relationship quite a while, and he comes home with a new toy. Right. He came comes home with a new magic wand, and it's very beautiful. It's sort of made of some sort of flower uh, or set of flowers, and she, he cherry says— Cherry blossoms. Cherry blossoms. Yeah, thank you. Um, and he's super excited about it. He said, you know, babe, look at this new flower wand I've got, cherry blossom wand. And, and Marceline has a different tone in th- at this point. Like, she is— not as demonstrably affectionate she seems a little withdrawn and she kind of says like oh the honeymoon period is over yeah they're like oh like how'd you pay for it and he says oh i sold that old bear that you had that old teddy bear oh man she's he sold hambo hambone hambo i think it's hambo hambo and i mean marceline loses it uh, she's been betrayed again yeah uh by an important male figure in her life yeah the pattern has returned and she is justifiably outraged um and ash is clearly not getting it because i think she says like that was the i think she says like that's the most important thing or my favorite thing in the whole world and he goes yeah babe that's why it's so valuable, you know, for potions and stuff, which I thought was a, a great joke because that is like one of those magic tropes that like things that are like personally valuable to you are like what makes a potion super strong. Yeah, if there's some kind of emotional investment into the object. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty funny. I think Ash is actually just gaslighting her here. I think that he is blowing off her concerns to make her think that they are invalid I'm sure that her dad has done something similar to her. I kind of see Marceline as a victim of, if not serial abuse, at least serial emotional manipulation at the hands of men in her life. Yeah, totally. That's exactly what's happening. And 
uh, she has the wherewithal or the emotional strength at this point to cut ties. So she, I mean, she screams at him and loses her mind. Uh, she kind of goes full vampire on him, basically, like gets all monstery looking and breaks up with him. And that's the end of the scene because that we see because Jake has found at this point as she stomps out of the house, I think, and Ash has stood left, uh, left standing there kind of like kind of, I, I think he also is a bit oblivious. Like he doesn't seem to get why she's so upset either. Like even after she's left, he's kind of like, yeah. what are you going? Like, like, where are you going, babe? Like what's, what's the deal? Yeah. I think he either doesn't consciously know that he's being emotionally manipulative or he's emotionally manipulative to the point that he won't even acknowledge her feelings as she's stomping out and leaving him behind. Right. Um, but that is the, like I said, he's, that's the end of the scene we see, um, because Finn and Jake find a new entryway to a new memory at this point. It's a glowing crack in the floor. Glowing crack in the floor that seems to be a significant one and one that, uh, so they need to get there because I think, uh, because they have found the, what they've been looking for, the memory core. This is the nerve center of all of, uh, Marceline's memories, basically. Yes. And it's beautifully drawn. Yeah. It's sort of a branching tree of, uh, dangling spherical memories. Mm-hmm. We only see the silhouette in white of Finn and Jake, and these branches and memories are white on a black background. Yeah. I thought it was really, really well done. I thought it looked really cool. Yeah, I thought so too. You know, it. Um, I don't know why, but it reminded me of there is a scene in maybe is it the sequel to Wizard of Oz where Dorothy has to pluck like ornaments from a tree or something like that. Uh, man, I can't oh, remember. Oh, that sounds it, familiar. Are you talking about Return to Oz with the, the pumpkin head guy and all that? Yeah. And I think she has oh, to. Oh, man. You know, the yeah. there instead of flying monkeys in that movie, there's a creature called wheelies. Do you remember those guys? No, uh, I guess not. I don't know. I don't, I don't know why I remember this part, but not the wheelies. So there are these incredibly frightening... They're sort of humans on all fours, but all of their limbs have wheels on the end. And so they are sort of this like skate gang slash flying monkey slash terrifying humanoid nightmare. And I've only watched that movie once or twice because the wheelies just scared the goodness gracious out of me, man. (laughs) Um, Well, I'm sorry uh, to have triggered you in this way, but um, I think there's a scene where... Wheelers. They're called wheelers. Okay. There's a scene where the friends, like some of Dorothy's friends have been captured and she only gets like three choices to pluck these ornaments off a tree. And if she chooses incorrectly, like her friends are trapped forever or something like that. Anyway, uh, really the only link here is that uh, the visuals of this memory core are that it is also a a tree with branches with sort of like ornaments and these ornaments are memories sort of hanging from the branches of this tree and the uh, finn and jake are able to find the right memory because the wizard who granted who uh, helped them go in had given uh finn a bit of like a glow a beacon uh, a magic beacon that was going to glow brighter when they got close to the memory that uh, they needed to get. And so they climb this tree. They play a bit of like hot and cold with Finn's forehead, essentially, as it gets brighter and brighter, they find they get closer and closer. 
Um, and they find it and they pluck this memory, uh, from, uh, Marceline's memory core. And as soon as they do, they return to the real world. They wake up. And as they're waking up, the wizard takes the memory from Finn and Jake. And then, uh, they wake up and are kind of groggy and are the, and the wizard then starts acting a little bit differently is a little more overly pleased with himself than maybe he should have been. And and we find out immediately that he has arms because he plucks the memory away from Finn. Right. And we, I don't think we mentioned it before. This oh, yeah. We that, never mentioned that he didn't have arms in the first place, did we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, he has arms, which is a shock because before they went into the memory. All right. Let's just throw out the last 15 minutes of audio, Ben. We got to start <laughs> over and describe the wizard not having arms. So here we go, folks. Welcome to season three, episode three. Uh, Finn and Jake are with a wizard that it's doesn't called have memory arms. of a memory. And yeah. I don't remember ever talking about it before, though. Right. The wizard doesn't have arms and he <laughs> grants, he, um, grants Finn his magic beacon by boink him on the forehead with his toe. Um, it's a pretty hilarious little move that he does. Um, you work with what you have. That's right. Uh, but as returning, to uh the point in time we had left you uh when finn and jake wake up the wizard grabs the memory ball uh, with arms and finn and jake are like hey wait you've got arms and how's how's that and the wizard says like that doesn't matter what matters is she's awake and she he awakens marceline with a little zap which is also weird because if he could have just woken her up the whole time, why didn't he? Yeah, we were led to believe that she had cast a spell on herself, and Finn and Jake right. were on the quest that they were through her memories in order to save her. Right. So Marceline wakes up, sees Finn and Jake in her house, is groggy, but is taking it well, I think, and says, like, hey, Finn and Jake, what are you doing here? And Finn and Jake said, well, we're here to save you because you cast a spell on yourself. Uh, this wizard guy... Um, brought us here and they turn and look and the wizard is gone the wizard has removed his disguise and it is none other than ash the ex-boyfriend from the memories and they have so, been had they have been had they have been outbrained is uh i think what ash says a little bit later but ash is there and marceline says oh hey that's my boyfriend ash and she floats on over to him as affectionate as she was in the first scene that we saw them moving into the treehouse. And Finn and Jake are gobsmacked. They are uh, flabbergasted and surprised and um, can't believe what they're seeing because they saw... Yeah, this is not how things are supposed to have gone. Right. They saw Finn and... They saw Ash and Marceline break up in a very uh, brutal kind of way and... They aren't sure what's going on. Um, Marceline is oblivious to all of this because she's, she seems to be oblivious to it. She's acting very affectionate to Ash, acting like they are still dating. And then she says, I'm going to go freshen up. And Ash says something, uh, sort of derogatory, like, Oh, good. Yeah. He's like, Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Um, and she floats off for a moment. And Finn and Jake are still staring at Ash, and Ash is like, finally, like, gonna just explain everything. Like, oh, you still don't get it. Um, it's got a bit of a Bond villain moment. 
Yeah, I didn't have you remove a memory of her casting a spell on herself. I had you remove the memory of them breaking up. And with that, he pulls out the little memory bubble and pops it. So the memory of Marceline and Ash breaking up is no more. And there's no way to retrieve it, seemingly. And so Marceline now believes that they are boyfriend and girlfriend still. Yep. She is mentally right back to where they were before breaking up, basically. Um, she still knows Finn and Jake. It's not like she went back in time. It's just that she doesn't ever remember breaking up with Ash. Yeah, the plot holes here are manifold, but it's a cartoon, so I'm just going to let it, let it, let it roll. Yeah. Um, Finn and Jake are feeling a bit helpless and, and are really, um, Marceline returns with some of her stuff. And at that point, Ash makes an exit. They fly up and out of Marceline's house, uh, and out somewhere that is unknown to them. Um, unknown to Finn and Jake, that is. And so Finn and Jake are desperate to figure out what to do. Um, fortunately, Jake has the wherewithal to pick up the scent of Ash and Marceline so that they can track them. And so that's at least the next thing they can do. They can track them to wherever they've gone. Um, so we cut to the new scene, which is they have tracked Marceline and Ash back to Ash's house um, that we saw before in the dream. Um, but now we're there in real life. And Finn and Jake are, they formulate a plan. It is a typical Finn and Jake plan that in that there are plenty of ways it could go wrong, but they are uh, confident it will go right. And the basic plan is just, yes. they're basically just like, let's make a plan. Uh, let's make a bunch of noise outside so that Ash comes out to see what the ruckus is. And then Finn will sneak inside and rescue Marceline. So it's a... And Jake really excels at this. Yeah, it's a broad strokes kind of plan. And so he finds a shovel and starts banging against uh, an outhouse shed outside of Ash's place. Um, and things quickly uh, go poorly with this plan because it turns out that the outhouse shed is not an outhouse shed. At least uh, it's not only an outhouse shed, but it also seems to be the home of some small creature. And so the, the creature comes out and is, uh, is just terrified and horrified to find that a giant, a giant dog, a giant in the sense that this creature is like the size of a mouse. And so Jake, yes, it's dog, a small goblin, I would say. Yeah. Jake, the dog looks like a giant dog to him. Um, but is basically horrified to find a monster of sorts, like just destroying his house for no reason. And Jake is kind of like, Jake kind of panics and is like, no, sh be quiet. Shush, shush, shush. Um, and the guy, the little goblin, uh, is terrified and is like, don't eat me, don't hurt me. And it starts screaming for his life. So while this part of the plan, the details kind of go a little awry, uh, it, the, the intended effect still happens in that it does attract the attention of Ash who comes out to see what the ruckus is. And at this point though, Jake bolts, he, he, he flees and Ash follows him. So the plan works exactly according to plan uh yeah it the uh the broad strokes are still in place so then this gives Finns his opportunity to enter in through the chimney in a cloud of smoke and uh enters into the living room uh surprising marceline for sure and then we get another indication that marceline may be the victim of you know kind of serious emotional abuse when Finn drops in through the chimney and she says Finn what are you doing here ash doesn't like me to hang out with mortals Right. 
Um, so there is, uh, some form of racism going on, uh, and that is that, uh, Marceline has now been, uh, has some, has had some rules put on her that, that we would not expect Marceline to follow if she had, if she had her full personality and her full sense of self, basically. Yes. Um, I, I, it's, it's kind of a classic, actually, you know, abusive partner tactic is to demand that you cut off contact with other important people in your life. It makes you easier to control. Exactly right. Um, so we, this pattern is, is playing out. Um, and Finn is there to rescue her, but Marceline doesn't want to be rescued, right? Like she is, um, perfectly happy as far as she knows in this household with Ash. And yeah, so she just wants Finn to leave. Right. So, uh, Finn, uh, pretty cleverly, um, I didn't expect this to happen. Um, pulls a bit of a, pulls a bit of a, a, a sly move on Marceline in that he, he says, fine, I'll leave, but first take a look at this and holds out some magic powder and blows it in her face. And it is the sleeping, the same sleeping powder that they used to enter Marceline's dreams in earlier in the episode. So Finn has self-incepted. Yes. They are definitely co-dreaming at this point. And Finn and Jake, or sorry, not Finn and Jake. I keep, that's rolls off the tongue too easily. Finn and Marceline, uh, are now inside Finn's memories, which are and, weird, which is weird. It's fantastic, but weird. The very first thing Mar- for a bit there, J- uh, Finn is not there. Um, real, uh, real Finn. I guess we'll call him for this moment. Yeah. Um, and Marceline is there and it's, she's in a hallway of doors. Um, a pretty classic visual metaphor for like a series of memories or things like that. Like, um, but she opens one and we see baby Finn dancing in a mirror, singing to himself with maybe one of my, maybe my favorite song now of the entire series to this point. <laughs> um, it is a, I don't want to, it's not a psych up song. It is basically just like a loving myself kind of song that. A, yeah. It's just a, it's a, it's a little baby rap about how he's a, he's a baby who can punch like a man. And if you don't watch yeah. out, he'll, he'll get you. He'll punch your buns. I think is what the line yes, is. Yes. I will punch your buns. <laughs> yeah. Um, I enjoyed the song a ton. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, and, and Marceline does too. She falls back laughing, uh, just really enjoying it. But this is at this point, real Finn shows up and is like, what's going on? And, uh, Marceline says nothing. Um, and Finn closes the door. Yeah. He just sort of looks in there and then nonchalantly closes the door as if, you know, he's, he's hoping against hope that Marceline didn't see what was in there and he's certainly not going to address it with her. (laughs) Right. Um, and he explains to her what's going on. He says, uh, you're in my memories. And the reason I brought you here is because we, he basically lays out like what has happened, uh, that they had to go into her memories and that Ash removed the memory of her breaking up. But since Finn saw them breaking up, it's now part of his memories. This is very clever. I thought it's a memory loophole. Um, I think in that, yeah. So Finn now has a memory of them breaking up. And so he brings her the memory from his own memory core and shows it to her and show 
she sees a little scene play out in front of her inside of like a little bubble. And it's basically the core moments of the breakup. And she, t- she is very calm in her reaction to this. I th- she's very sad, I think. Um, and she, she just says calmly, but sadly, I think I'd like to wake up now. And so they do. She wakes up and Ash has returned by this point and is like, what do you do? Like, what are you doing here with this doof? I can't remember what he calls it, but it's like, I told you, you can't hang out with doofs. Um, yeah. And Marceline walks out the door and proceeds to beat the crap out of Ash. Uh, um, I can't remember if she says anything before she starts beating him up, but she just lays into him, starts whooping on him. Yeah, and then Finn joins in, and we've got a good old-fashioned curb stomp going on. Yeah, and we like, and it just—that's how the episode ends—is them beating the living snot out of Ash, and we actually end on a—I uh, I would call it like a Monty Python-esque move, which yes. is out of out of nowhere a giant dog leg. Uh, Jake in his giant form just we don't see his body but just the leg comes from the top of the screen and just smushes Ash and that is what we end the episode on yeah Ash is not in a good way at the end of this episode yeah and I laugh because I thought that like we kind of talked about how uh, there's lots of plot holes in these episodes but we give them a little break because it's a cartoon and I don't know if Ash will return frankly but I if he doesn't I think this was a hilarious way to basically just say like because I thought there's a hilarious way to like just say like, yeah, he's done. Like his story arc is done. Yeah, <laughs> we just we squished him. Um, it's it's it, tough to bring back a cartoon character who has been severely beaten by other cartoon characters. I think <laughs> because you have to yeah. address that somehow, right? Um, and so I thought that was just a great without because they Ash could have become a recurring villain in this series easily like a recurring just like uh, it seems like marceline's dad will kind of be that um a just a part of her past that keeps coming back to haunt her a bit and i thought like i thought it was nice there maybe the, the writers are just like yeah we don't want ash to be that so we're done with him so we're just going to squish him out of existence and yes that's what they did so all in all great episode uh we can't do it visual justice, so you got to watch it, folks. Um, really cool um, premise, I thought, uh, and a pr- and a really cool premise for introducing you, the audience, to rich backstories for some of their characters, without having to go through a lot of like exposition. Basically, like it's a, yeah. it was a really nice device. Uh, yes, so I really liked it. So I have a, a couple things to chat about regarding yeah. this episode. Um, first, I'm going to ask you again. Did you happen to notice anything in Finn's memory beyond seeing Finn as a baby in sort of a modern day looking bathroom dancing in front of the mirror? Did you notice anything else in the hallway or anything? Um, I noticed that there were other doors. I noticed that there were like sconces on the walls it was sort of like a wood paneled kind of hallway i mean marceline even asked where are they and he just nonchalantly says oh this is my old house so Mm -hmm. that's what i noticed i noted that he just said this is my old house so um he just like we learned that finn and jake there's a mother 
in their past. Like now we know that there was also a house. And there is a lot of information actually, uh, which I don't think I will reveal. You can feel free to go back and watch it and, and eagle-eyed uh, listeners again will have probably noticed this. Uh, there are, I'll say that there are pictures on the walls and they are pretty meaningful. Wow. Okay, man. I, uh, yeah, I was, I was caught up in the narrative of this episode and I did not catch this stuff. So that's cool to know. There is um, a lot of information in this episode to be sure. Cool. Very cool. Um, I thought it was great. I think we can, uh, there's, is what other questions do you have? I, you had a couple topics. Yeah, well, you know, for you, as you're watching this, uh, you know, you're always, I think, watching it with one eye on your metaverse. And if there was one pseudo word that I would use to describe this episode, it's certainly meta. So we are dreams within dreams within dreams within dreams at this point, huh? Man, yeah. Um, the The dreaming inside of dreams is is awesome to me because frankly just for me i think then it makes that it makes the the dream verse the dream theory that i have even more plausible sure now we've we've made it true if if uh we've, we've made it a something that can happen and i i don't know if that means that fit like the first level of the dream world if we if we if we consider the main uh land of ooh that we've been living in. If we consider that the first level of the dream world in my theory, um, then is it a lucid dream now? Does that make it lucid dreaming? I can't tell because now that they are able to control it in the way where they're able to then like dream inside of it. I don't know. I, I, uh, I would it, say no, because they don't act like they are in a dream when they're in what we would call the real world of Ooh. They don't say, yeah, oh, okay. we've got to go one level deeper. They just say, oh, we've got to go into her dream or into her memories. Right. They treat it like they are not dreaming. Yeah. But that's what everybody in Inception thinks too, so. That's true too. Yeah. I mean, we don't, none of them have a totem to let us know if they're dreaming or not, so. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. Um, so if we could get a top of some kind in here, I think we'd answer a lot of questions. I think that, yeah, we probably would. Who knows yeah. if uh, Finn or Jake has a has a totem, if they're just dreaming willy-nilly and it's impossible to tell what, which, which world they're in. Um, but the other thing that I just kind of wanted to talk about was, you know, I've talked about, I brought it up a couple times already. Um, this relationship between Ash and Marceline is pretty clearly abusive, I would say. It, you know, certainly emotionally abusive. And I wonder, as you were watching it, what you thought about the lessons that maybe it would teach, you know, a young person, say a child, uh, about relationships. I was sort of ambivalent about the whole thing. I didn't think that Ash came off as badly as maybe he needed to, to really show a child that an abusive partner is bad. But uh, he did get what was coming to him, and it may not be bad for children to be exposed to this sort of example of this is a controlling, abusive partner, and he's bad, and he's going to get what's coming to him. Um, it may not be bad for them to see that when they're pretty young. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was interesting that he wasn't overtly like he was not evil in the oh, oh, he was not um, cartoonishly evil like that in a normal children children show. I think you would see the evil person is like 
demonstrably evil in a way that like is uh unequivocal and yes he's not this, a lifetime movie husband right in this episode ash is um clearly the antagonist like he is he is the foe that finn and jake are fighting against in a sense so i think that that's clear but you're right like he doesn't he is not portrayed uh he doesn't have like a defining sort of like oh he's definitely evil he's just he this is a relationship that i think would um take some nuance to understand what's going on the fact that he is beaten out of existence in the end i think is uh is interesting and like you're right like is is maybe like the um is the writers like basically saying like even this kind of like you know even this kind of evil needs to be snuffed out like it's not like the same kind of evil as like a darth vader kind of evil yeah it is still it is still one that needs to be uh nipped in the bud basically yeah we certainly don't feel like finn and jake are unjustified in the beating finn jake and marceline for that matter are unjustified in the beating that they give to ash at the end of the of the episode yeah Yeah. um i think it's interesting that they've made this metaphor um the metaphor of sort of like an abusive relationship sort of like robs you of your uh agency or like personal agency and sense of self um, and I think yes. the fact that they made it, they made that literal, like he literally stole a, a portion of herself, um, from her is, uh, it was a cool move, I think. Uh, and probably yeah. makes, it makes it clear to a, a younger audience that like, if anything, stealing is wrong, you know, like that part you could probably get behind, like as a kid, like, yes. Hey, you stole something from Marceline. You stole something important. And so, yes. Uh, and I think that, even that if itself. even if you're a kid and you don't understand the sort of larger relationship implications, I think you pick up at least on a sort of subtextual level. This is a bad boyfriend. This is a bad person in this relationship. You know, stealing right. is wrong, but because of the relationship that he has to Marceline, there's an extra level of betrayal that I think even a kid would pick up on, and you know, probably wouldn't say, "Oh, well, that yeah, that looks like what a controlling, abusive partner looks like," but is probably thinking. Oh, so even people that you trust and like can betray you and do bad things to you. Right. And that that's not okay. Um, right. Yeah. I, that is a really new, I think that's interesting that this is, I, I, I sometimes forget, frankly, that this show runs in the daytime. It's not part of like a nighttime cartoon lineup intended just for adults. Like it is running yes. in the middle of the day and right in the right smack in the middle of a like, a block of where like other kids shows are running. Yeah. And I frequently find myself kind of seeing it through kids eyes. And then I come to you because you live with kids to find out what on earth I was supposed to be seeing through kids eyes. <laughs> I thought you were going to lead in. And then I come to you who is a, just a giant man child. <laughs> I thought that's where you're going <laughs> to go with that. <laughs> oh, Ben, you are far, far more mature than I am. So I'm not going to go there. <laughs> uh anywho there's a good uh, reason i don't live with children myself (laughs) so um i think you bring up great points i think all in all this is like a super rich episode um one of the richest they've done frankly it was uh narratively rich visually uh stunning even just like the premise of the whole uh like walking through a memory i think that that's an artistic nice way to 
uh, I said it earlier to just like help you learn about a character without making it feel like a slog. Um, it was really nice. Yeah, we we build out the world quite a bit. We learn a lot about Marceline, and it's not like, you know, today on Adventure Time, it's Marceline 10 years ago. They just, they, they work it into Finn and Jake's life and narrative very, very well. Yeah, and they even fit it into the overall format of the, like, the side quest. You know, like, they make it, in a, they make yeah. it an adventure. Yeah. Um, so, really well done. A really great episode. Yeah, I really liked this episode. Yeah. Uh, but we've talked about it for a while. We should probably jump to the other one. Yeah. Before we move on, though, I am going to ask you to click on over to the Skype chat and take a look at the wheelers because I sent you a few pictures of wheelers. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, I'm bracing myself. <laughs> it may be just me who's terrified of them, but I think they look pretty doggone scary. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. What do you uh, think of those guys? I do not care for them at all. Oh, <laughs> so there's, so describe man, them you, for our for our poor listeners who are not on the uh, journey of discovery not, that we are right now. For our listeners who are not on our private Skype chat right now, um, right. So let's see here. How do I describe them? It, it's like, uh, so the cl the close up one you've sent me is like a very pale gaunt man uh like with just kind of like 80s rock star eye makeup mm -hmm. and a very steampunk kind of helmet and set of tubes running off of his head kind of like a kind of like what you would imagine so, like uh it, it it reminds me of um cerebro from X-Men, like the helmet oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that, uh, that Professor Xavier has to wear to use Cerebro, but it's like a very steampunk version of that. And they have armor that has like faces carved into it. Uh, and they're wearing just like leather and, uh, it's just, it, it's a steampunk look. It really is. Uh, and they are. Yeah. It's sort of a cyber upsetting. steampunk maybe. Yeah, they are upsetting looking. Uh, I do not like this. And you're right, they do. They like kind of move on all fours or kind of like in a gorilla posture, like that kind of like hunched over knuckles dragging, except that their knuckles and their hands are not hands. They are wheels. And it looks like, I guess you said, like their back, their feet are also wheels. Um, that is weird. Do you remember that there was a cartoon? There's a cartoon where there's like a, kid or a guy who can like transform into a car oh and yes i think about this frequently because i it because i'm weird but i i yes it's like a teenager and he can turn into a car but as i recall like if he gets water spilled on him he transforms one direction or the other is that right yeah man i'm gonna have to look this up too hang on uh we'll, we can keep talking but like i'm gonna have to get this up on the googles uh, Turbo Teen is the name okay, of the... that sounds about right. Uh, so Teenager That Turns Into a Car is a pretty complete description of this show. Um, he's, uh, uh, bringing it up on Wikipedia, Brett Matthews is a teen who swerves off the road during a thunderstorm and crashes into a secret government laboratory. <laughs> and there, 
There, he and his red sports car are accidentally exposed to a molecular beam um, that was, that fuses them together, and he gains the ability to morph into the car when exposed to extreme heat <laughs> and revert to his he reverts to his human form when exposed exposed to extreme cold. Okay, I guess that's where I'm getting the ice water from. Yeah, and they, uh, like one would do, become super superheroes. They become crime fighters um, and mystery solvers, with the only power seemingly is just becoming and becoming a car. <laughs> but, Not even like a real like I think he he becomes like a Pontiac Grand like Grand Am or something <laughs> like nothing all nothing all that incredibly powerful yeah and also um, very very uh sort of situational power when it's not like he's the hulk and if he gets mad he turns into a sports car and runs you over it's just like man it's getting hot in here i don't know (laughs) (laughs) right yeah like oh this kid can never go into a sauna again because he'll just turn into a car Um, yeah he's he's not gonna be baking any chocolate chip cookies uh, I won't get into the details now, but I highly recommend listeners of the show listen to, there is a, oh man, I'm now blanking on the podcast, but there's a podcast, um, that, um, John Hodgman participates in. I believe it's actually this American life. Um, Hmm. I don't, it may not, it may not be John Hodgman. I think he's part of the episode, but it, it, there's an episode of this American life where they believe they focus around superheroes. And John Hodgman is one of the guests that they talk to in that episode. But another guest they talk to is a a, hist- a comic book historian who has like cataloged all of the superheroes who have been duds over the years, and sort of like that's his like thing that he really likes, just like talking about like why a superhero doesn't work, and like um, so he has this catalog of all these bad superheroes, superheroes that never really just like caught on with any audience. And, uh, he listened, he lists them out of a few of them and they are delightful because the ideas of like why anyone ever thought that this would have been like a power that someone could have used to fight crime <laughs> is, is fantastic. Um, and so I recommend taking a, li- li- uh, take a look, listen, to, um, this American life, look up an episode about superpowers. I think you'll find it and, uh, uh, enjoy. Anywho, we can get back to our show. Okay, let's start talking about Adventure Time again. I think we've pretty well covered Memory of a Memory. Excellent episode, rich, full of world building and character building. Yes. Uh, And then the second one, uh, episode four in season three that we'll talk about today is called Hitman. Hitman. This is a uh, fun episode that I think we can uh, cover pretty quickly. Um, yes, it's, it's much more of a silly cartoon than the one that we just watched. Yeah. It's an Ice King episode. It's, uh, it's, it's our first return of Ice King, I think, in season three. Uh, and if you remember, we've left, we left season two with the Ice King having sort of brought about a series of events of events that led to Princess Bubblegum, um, being, uh, reverted to a younger state after an, after an interaction with, the lich but in this episode yes, of season pb three, is 13 years old and yeah. after she turns 13 ice king bugs out immediately <laughs> right uh and um we do not address any of that in this episode i'll say right at the beginning this is just a pure like ice king is just at his 
at his uh, normal Ice King self without any... And, and neither Finn and Jake don't even acknowledge what's going on. So this is not a uh, continuation of that narrative arc. This is just a standalone Ice King episode. And we... Ice see- King being a selfish jerk. Yep. And... Just like he normally does, he is looking to attract some princesses. So we enter this episode in the Breakfast Kingdom, where the two breakfast princesses are in bed enjoying breakfast. We're going to say breakfast a few times during the first part of this episode. Yeah, it struck me as I saw the breakfast princesses eating their breakfast in bed that that's not really probably super exciting for them. They kind of have breakfast in everywhere. Like, if they go to school, they have breakfast in school. And yeah. if they're in their car, they have breakfast in their car. So what is what is a luxury and a, uh, you know, sort of a act of love for us is probably just an everyday occurrence for the, the breakfast princesses. That's probably true. But I think they also have a deep and abiding love for breakfast in general, where I think it might be that just like the act of eating breakfast is a special thing for them all the time, no matter where it happens. And good for them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we all know that breakfast for dinner is one of the best things you can do in your life. Uh, breakfast in bed being very close to that level of awesomeness as well. So I think the breakfast... They pe- both beat the hell out of brunch, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> the breakfast people... I think what we're saying is the breakfast people have figured out how to live correctly and uh, <laughs> and are living their best lives. Hashtag living their best lives. That's right. Um, they are... In bed, having some pancakes, and the Ice King <laughs> creeps on into their bedroom. Um, and the breakfast princesses are so deep in their enjoyment of having breakfast that they don't even really notice the Ice King's there until he's literally right next to them pouring honey onto their pancakes. At which point, they don't scream or uh, jump out of bed or try to get away from him. They simply reach for the telephone. They look a bit annoyed, and they call calmly uh to somebody we fir- we quickly learn is actually finn and jake and they say something like hey finn and jake yeah we're having an ice king problem and then like oh you can great that sounds perfect okay talk to you later bye and they hang up and then instantaneously uh the doors burst open and finn and jake are there like ice king get the heck out of here um He's more of an annoyance at this point than any sort of frightening villain. Yeah, and they've called Finn and Jake sort of like exterminators to come and get rid of this infestation of Ice King. Uh, Finn and Jake, then, they don't fight. It's, they've even We've even moved beyond that. They don't fight Ice King anymore. They simply ground him <laughs> as a parent would to a child. Um, and we have a delightful inter, inter, uh, exchange where Finn grounds Ice King for a week. Ice King protests. So Finn ups it to two weeks, and Ice King is pouty, and so it gets up to three weeks, and oh, so on and so on, until uh, we get to, I think, a four-week ground. Yeah, so I have to mystery. go ahead and kind of derail the, the episode here and, and ask you if you, have a, as a parent, have ever found yourself in one of these preposterous situations <laughs> where you're inflicting ever higher punishments on a child who simply does not care and is just going to defy all of the punishments you give him. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, this starts way earlier than you would hope, basically. Um, you know, you, with kids, you do the counting, like... You know, if I get to three, uh, you know, something yeah, you better have happen. You better have something in your back pocket when you start counting. You start counting, and then they'll go, they'll count for you, 
you know, like because they're so <laughs> mad. Uh, you start at one and they just jump right to three just to test you, just to see what happens, <laughs> basically. And then you've got to have something. Uh, fortunately, um, uh, but, but you, I would say fortunately, you can usually, um, get taking, basically taking anything random away has an effect on kids. Mm -hmm. Whereas as they get older, you do have to actually find something that they value <laughs> and like use that as, use that as leverage when like, as a, as a three-year-old, I can basically say like, I will take this random piece of lint from your room and, <laughs> and you can't have it for the rest of the day. And the kid loses their mind as if like, that's the worst punishment. So you don't have to be super creative at this point. You just have to have something basically. Yes. Uh, but this is sort of a, a classic trap that authority figures have been falling into for millennia. I know when I was teaching, they definitely trained you, you know, don't get into a battle of wills with a student because there's a good chance that the student is going to win the battle of wills. Right. And I can remember myself, uh, I can remember myself in my classroom. I had a system where I would uh, toss a bead in a kid's cup if they had done something good. And I would take a bead out if I thought they had done something bad. And man, I was such a, inexperienced bad teacher i remember just sitting there with with a student saying i don't care take a bead and i'd be like that's it i'm taking another bead as if that was going to do anything i don't care take them all well that will because you said that i'm going to take another bead and you know eventually you run out of beads and then what do you do <laughs> kids still not listening to you i'm gonna give these beads back to you just so i can keep taking away from you <laughs> But Ice King does eventually sort of uh, just hang his head and resign himself to his fate of being grounded by Finn somehow. She does, and he sulks away back to his ice palace, which is where we find him in the next scene, uh, pacing the floors, just talking about how unfair it is that he's been grounded. Uh, he, a, a seemingly uh, autonomous adult that uh, has accepted a grounding, <laughs> but he is there, and then... He comes up with a plan. He just, he's so mad. He says something like, I wish I could just hit him. I wish I could hit Finn and Jake, but he can't because he understands that he's grounded. But then he says, if only I could hit them from while staying in the castle. And then he goes and he thinks about it and he goes to his computer, which is connected to the internet. Um, and which the internet exists in Ooh, uh, which I, I think is, we've it's seen. It's very fast too. Yeah, we've seen it before, I guess, but it's still kind of uh, a, j a nice little joke for me that, like, there's an internet. And so uh, they he logs on and, and searches. He, he searches uh, something that makes sense to him in the literal sense. And um, we, the audience, understand has a slightly different meaning. So he looks for someone who will hit Finn and Jake, a man of some kind who hits things, a hit man, if you will. <laughs> uh, and so he types hit man into the, uh, to his computer and it immediately brings up a result of someone named the scorcher who, uh, is a hitman for hire on the internet. So, you know, I, I think what, what we can do is, you know, it's, it's sort of an interesting online world that they inhabit. It appears to be sort of an eight bit situation, uh, I think we should go ahead and just call it the Unternet. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm on board. Uh, the in, the Unternet. So uh, <laughs> the <laughs> you acceded to that one very easily, Ben. I appreciate it. Oh man. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's a little bit late, and I am uh, I'm willing to go there. 
<laughs> it's just not worth it at this point. Right. Um, the internet is, is a, like you said, is, is lightning fast here in the land of Ooh, because as soon as, basically as soon as the Ice King, um, clicks the, the lead generation form, I guess, that the Scorcher has on his website, um, the Scorcher appears right there in, uh, in the Ice King's palace. He's sort of a, a smoke being, uh, who can sort of dis- disapparate into, if I can use a, a Harry Potter word, um, into, I was wondering uh, where just, you got that word. Yeah. I think it's, it's definitely Harry Potter. Um, thanks. Uh, and now I don't know when this episode came out, but could we accuse JK Rowling of stealing <laughs> disapparation from, uh, the scorcher? I think we can. I think we can accuse her. Yeah. She's, I mean, just a, plagiarist plagiarist that rowling yeah uh i told you i would keep making accusations uh so (laughs) um you'll have to pry this microphone from my cold dead hands the your cold broke hands probably just that yeah the my the uh the scorcher is a mummy looking character who can control fire his his hands kind of light up with flames and his eyes are kind of like little burning embers um who does not speak he does not do anything he's a very imposing figure um and he can turn himself into smoke and fly around and the ice king is very impressed with all of this and he uh he signs a contract with the with the scorcher that he the the scorcher is to hit Finn and Jake and at that mo- in in an instant the scorcher is away and the ice king rushes to his telescope that he has apparently trained on the treehouse and watches which at- is both creepy and unsurprising right um and so he watches as the scorcher creeps up to the treehouse and he's getting very happy to watch uh what he thinks is going to be the scorcher basically just like punch Finn and Jake in the shoulder or something um, but the Scorcher does not do that. The Scorcher surreptitiously lights the treehouse on fire. And the Ice King's reaction is one of annoyance and anger. Because basically he says, well, that will kill them. And if they're dead, you can't punch them. You can't hit them anymore. So the Ice King is like, well, this is all wrong. So he le- flies out of his own home over to the treehouse and he bursts in on a scene with Finn and Jake. Finn and Jake are inside the house making sandwiches. And, and can we talk about this scene though? There's a, yeah. there's an important yeah. off-screen character that we learn about in this scene. Yeah. Uh, they're making giant, uh, like hero sandwiches, like the kind that you saw in like old bugs, bunny cartoons, which is not, not a, not a, uh, yeah, not an unexpected occurrence for Jake anyway. Yeah. Jake's a, a foodie, uh, of, of sorts. A foodie in the sense that he loves eating, overeating, I guess. Yes. Um, but they're making those like big Bugs Bunny style sandwiches that are just like, stacked with meats and cheese. A Dagwood sandwich. Yeah, that's better. Uh, a Dagwood sandwich. And, uh, and he is talking about, and Finn, Finn is kind of disappointed in his own sandwich, seeing, seeing Jake's masterpiece. Um, he's, and, and, and Jake says, well, you should put some meat in it. It comes from the meat man. It's the meat man's meat. And, J- and Finn goes, is it okay that we eat 
the meat that the meat man cuts off of himself. He says, do you, and, do you, do you think that it hurts meat man when he gives us his meat? <laughs> right. And Jake is like, meh, whatever. Like he does not, uh, he just does not seem to phase him, but have we, I, I like the scene too, but have we ever met the character, the meat man? No, no, no. Meat man is, is, is mythical at this point. He exists only off screen. Uh, but, you know, Finn and Jake just talk about him as if we should know who, <laughs> right? Who Meat Man is. But he is apparently some kind of creature made at least partially of meat, probably all of meat. Yes. Uh, it's a strong implication that he is made of meat and that he is just like sort of, uh, I, I imagine him being sort of like a gyro spit and just sort of carving bits of himself off to, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he sells it or if it's just he gives it away to his friends or what. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, Finn questions the morality of doing of of consuming the meat man's meat. Jake is less concerned, um, but all of it is a moot conversation anyway. Because then the Ice King flies in, and the boys are unaware that the house is on fire uh, on the exterior. Um, but the Ice King flies in with his ice powers and basically just like a fire extinguisher. Uh, ices the whole place down. And from Finn and Jake's perspective, this is because they don't know the Scorcher was there. Um, this is just the Ice King, A, breaking the rules of his grounding by leaving the ice castle. Naughty um, boy. But also completely ruining their lunch by encasing their treehouse in ice, especially Jake's sandwich, which he is heartbroken over. And Finn and Jake are just basically like, you, you know the rules. Like, get out of here. You need to go back. You're you're still grounded. And uh, so the Ice King does. The Ice King is like, fine, and flies away back to the Ice Palace, where um, he flies in, and the Scorcher is already there. And he is he is PO'd with the Scorcher. I tell you what. Uh, he is like, he kind of lays into him like, Hey, you weren't supposed to kill him. You were just supposed to hit him. And he kind of demonstrates by punching the, uh, punching the scorcher in the shoulder. And he says something offhand, like, you're lucky that I was there to put out the fire because otherwise they would have died. And hearing this, the scorcher simply leaves the palace again and, um, heads on back to Finn and Jake's place to try to kill him again. Yeah, it's one of those situations where it's like Ice King signed the contract, and so now there's no stopping Scorcher. He is going to go finish the job. You have told him to hit these people, and so he's going to hit them. There's no recalling him. There's no stopping him. Uh, he is going to do his job as right. he understands it. I think it's hilarious that Ice King manages to talk past and be talked past to by a character who doesn't speak at all. <laughs> right. Um, so I think you can kind of see where the episode goes. This is basically the ongoing problem of the episode is that the Scorcher is basically, uh, set on this path and cannot be swayed. And the Ice King is trying to, is, it does not want the boys to die. He is trying to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, and so we have another scene where this, um, and I'm actually even blanking on what happens exactly, but the Scorcher goes back trying to kill them again. But the Ice King once again thwarts the plan. Um, 
Yeah. Is that, is that right? uh, well, the first thing Ice King does, or at some point, he he gets back on the internet and uh, Google's a hitman, hitman. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's that's like very Bugs Bunny. Captain Blasto or something shows up. Right. Uh, to hit Scorcher, but uh, is completely ineffective. Winds up just being sort of a naked goblin inside of a big mech. And uh, after Scorcher de- destroys the mech, the goblin runs away, and Ice King is left right where he was before he hired the Hitman Hitman. Exactly. Um, and not only that, but he now has, I think, angered the Hitman he originally uh, he originally hired. Um, yes. He f- oh, it's called Blastronaut. The, the, it's not Captain Blasto, it's Blastronaut. That's better. Yeah, Blastronaut. Um, but the Scorcher is now basically... Uh, raging and like probably wants to kill ice king at this point for calling out a hit on scorcher and so the ice king kind of realizes this and decides to just go ahead and freeze the scorcher in place in a block of ice and get make a getaway um this isn't going to hold scorcher long because the scorcher controls fire and can probably melt the ice but yeah, ice king uh, knows that yeah it gives him enough time to fly to the treehouse and fess up to the situation to finn and jake um, and he sheepishly says, well, you know, I accidentally called a hit out on you. I thought he was just going to punch you, but apparently he wants to kill you. And, uh, Finn and Jake kind of like, just like disappointed parents are just like, you know, basically just like ice King, come on. Like <laughs> that's just disappointing to hear basically. And I, I, I have to point out that that prior to, I think that immediately prior to Ice King making this confession, the way that he enters the treehouse is by flying in through the top window and tackling Jake. But it's one of my very favorite Jake moments that we've seen so far. We we forgot to mention that we see Finn and Jake sleeping, and they're each having dreams, and Finn is going, punch, punch, kick, punch. And uh, <laughs> Jake, however, is having a much more troubling dream. He's saying... Uh, Oh no, Meat Man! I'm sorry. I didn't. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Meat Man. <laughs> and yeah, then, he is having. Uh, the following morning, Jake is standing in the window. He's got sort of a scarf draped aco- across his neck that it, or around his neck that's blowing in the wind. He has uh, his eyes are hugely dilated, and he's holding a cup of coffee, just sort of staring out across the landscape, obviously disturbed by something. And then he says, "Hey, hey, Finn! I think I'm going to stop eating Meat Man." <laughs> Yep. I, I had a dream about Meat Man. I don't think I'm going to eat Meat Man anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're right. I, that is a fantastic moment. It is, uh, it is Jake coming to terms with some pretty heavy stuff. Um, yeah. And it's also a really good Adventure Time gif that you'll find out there on the internet. It's Jake standing with his scarf blowing in the wind and his eyes dilated holding his coffee. There are a lot of good, uh, there are plenty of situations you can use that. Um, so we get to, uh, we get to the Ice King making his entrance, tackling Fit Jake, um, explaining the problem, and basically tell him they only have a few minutes or maybe even seconds before this Scorcher is arriving and that they're going to have to deal with him. Um, and sure enough, the Scorcher does arrive, and Finn and Jake and the Ice King make an exit. They they run for it, and so they're running across the fields uh, with, the, uh, with the Scorcher flying behind him, and... In order to hold him off, the Ice King then creates a giant ice dome around them to, to bide them a little time. So while the Scorcher is outside kind of slamming into this thing with flame blasts, um, they have a bit of time to talk. 
And the Ice King decide, uh, figures out that the only way to stop the Hitman is for the Hitman to believe that the Hit contract is complete. And so he tells the boys that he is going to lower their body temperature to a point that they appear dead, but are not. And that he will then revive them once the Scorcher is satisfied that the contract has been completed. This seems risky. Finn and Jake uh, astutely assess that this is a risky plan, especially they given... They not enthused. Yeah, especially given the Ice King's track record of trustworthiness. But... Um, the Ice King is kind of has the upper hand in this case because he's the only one that can wheel that can like shoot ice out of his hands. So he just kind of goes yeah. zap and freezes them anyway. And then he shouts out to the Scorcher to call a truce and says uh, that the that he has decided to kill them himself and that the Scorcher does not need to continue on his quest or on his his contract. The Scorcher. Uh, to his credit, uh, as a businessman, I think, um, does his due diligence and checks that, in fact, that the, uh, that the boys are dead. He, uh, he checks Finn's pulse and satisfied that it is, uh, no, not present. He then, uh, asks for, uh, <laughs> he asks for the Ice King to sign some paperwork. Yeah, it seems to be sort of an invoice or something. Yeah, which I thought was great. I think that the uh, I love that the the scorcher is at the same time this menacing, otherworldly, powerful being, and at the other at the same time that is also a stickler for paperwork. I think that's yeah. Great. It's like you you sign a deal with the devil, and then you also have to go through an exit interview upon completion of the deal. <laughs> right, uh, and I was going to ask you because at the at the completion of the deal, when the uh, the Ice King signs a, uh, I think sort of like a, um, a, a sort of like a receipt of goods kind of con- say like a like a little say a little contract saying like, yes, the contract has been satisfied. Um, right. As the Scorcher leaves, he leaves behind a little floating piece of paper that the Ice King picks up and barely glances at, and then kind of tosses away. Um, and it's not even on screen enough for it wasn't on screen enough for me to read well enough. Did you happen to catch it? Oh yeah, I paused on it. So the scorcher leaves a poem behind that reads Okay. Echoes of past events nudge the tiller on my present course. I await its reflection in the future. And I have to point out, because I did it when I wrote it down, I put a big brackets and a sick that it uses the possessive its, but there's a doggone apostrophe in it. So I'm going to blame that on Scorcher and not the not the creators of Adventure Time, but I, I would be uh, remiss in my duties as a pedant if I didn't point that out. Uh, fantastic. I'm just help- I'm just glad that you, uh, that you wrote it down, because I also tried to pause it and read it, but um, just wasn't able to like really... Uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, I couldn't quite read the script that was, that they used. Um, so he leaves behind a poem, a very cryptic poem at that. Yeah. It's a little spooky. Not quite sure where he's coming from. Uh, it is not enough to get, to attract the interest of ice King. That's for sure. He just sort of tosses it over his shoulder. Uh, and then, uh, we end our episode with the ice King making good on his deal by warming the boys back up um he does it in a, a way that i didn't expect i think he, yes. he's, he kind of a, he kind of approaches it from like a mother hen kind of uh scenario sort of uh hitches up his little uh his ice king 
It's a Moomoo. Yeah. Hitches up his Ice King Moomoo, climbs up on top of the ice blocks that are Finn and Jake, hunkers down, and I think just uh, is going to wait for them to thaw. And, yeah, um, he's just going to incubate Finn and Jake, and that's where we that's where we leave it. We don't even see Finn and Jake wake up. So we're nope. not even quite sure at the end of the episode whether Ice King's plan even worked. Right. Uh, but all in all, a very silly, uh, fairly silly episode with a few good gags in it. Um, a nice little palate cleanser after the uh, the rich meal that was episode three. Yes, although the I, I'm really I would love to hear more Meat Man lore. Um, for me, that was a major world building moment. I I'm really into Meat Man. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because like we've met a lot of edible characters, and I don't think that we've ever seen them nibble on themselves in any way. Yes, that's the yeah. yeah. So the fact that Meat Man is different from them is is uh is delightful but is he though is he i think that's the question <laughs> i guess that's, that jake has to answer I, in this episode right i guess that is true um i hope we meet meat man someday actually maybe i hope we don't maybe I, maybe he's better as a myth um but all in all a very cute episode yes it was i think uh there were yeah i agree with you there were good jokes uh meat man i, I think the whole episode was worth it for meat man myself um but it was a bit of a palate cleanser after the the very, very uh, sort of uh, thick, rich episode that we watched first. So um, I enjoyed both of them. I thought the that episode three, Memory of a Memory, was a pretty remarkable bit of television. Uh, where did it, where'd it put you on the, on the spectrum? Well, I think it was great. I think that it certainly made me more invested in the, in the, in the, the universe. So I think it moved me forward uh, towards fandom. Nice. It may, I haven't decided yet, it may be the first episode that I decide to rewatch. Uh, given what you told me about the details existing in the background. Yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it. We can come back and talk about some of those next week, I think, actually. Or we maybe we can put out like a yeah. midweek special episode if you get a chance to rewatch it. Let me know. We'll talk about it because the, the young Marceline scene, take a look at the background and then look on the walls in, in Finn's house. There's some important info there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never, I have yet to rewatch an episode, so this may be the first one. And I think that's a sign that... Uh, the fandom is creeping on me, right? Like the yeah. fact that you're willing, willing to willing to rewatch a given episode. I only do that with a few shows, so uh, I think that is a a good sign. Yeah, and I, th- I think it speaks well for the show as well. That you know, I mean, this is a cartoon, but there are things that you will pick up on a second watching that you didn't get in the first. So, not a not a whole lot of cartoons are that way. I agree. Um, well, I think that's been it's been fun. I think it's been two good episodes that. Uh, have been fun to chat about but we should wrap it up and uh get ready to watch two more yeah i think we should so this of course is the part of the episode where i say thank you to my good friend will yates he provided our intro and outro music that song's called date night it's on his ep i know the feeling if you head to willyates.bandcamp.com you can pay what you want for that ep and another one and i'm going to continue this week on my mission of urging all of our listeners to go pay will for his music so that he can be a full-time electronic musician quit his politics job and make music to make me happy thank you will yes thank you will and of course we want to hear from you the listener uh what do you think of the wheelers who's meat man uh did you notice what was on the wall in 
Finn's house. Uh, jump on the Twitters and get us there at Podventure Time. You can find us on Facebook. We've got a page called Podventure Time. And the really hopping discussion uh, where Ben is maintaining a running log of his metaverse is the Treehouse Treasure Room, our Facebook group. So you can find us in all of those different ways. We'd love to hear from you. Also, podventuretime at gmail.com if you're an email type person. Um yeah. And then uh, you can also subscribe to our show on whichever podcasting service you like. We are on Google Play. Uh, we are on Stitcher. We are on Apple Podcasts. And if you rate and review us on one or more of those services, it will do us some good and uh, possibly picking up some other listeners. So if you're a little bored, maybe feeling generous, hop on uh, Apple Podcasts and toss us a, a nice review. We'd appreciate it. Yep. We do not advertise the show any other way. Uh, the only way that we will get listeners is if you good folks who listen now tell other folks about uh, things that they should listen to. You should also, you should try to get your friends to like the things you like. Kind of like what we're doing here. Yes. It's just evangel evangelism all around. Yep. Yeah, and I frankly, for this week, I'd love to hear if there are any movie characters out there that uh, are so creepy that they uh, preclude you from watching movies. Uh, just like the Wheelers have kept Pat from rewatching Return to Oz, uh, I would love to know if there are any Ugh. other characters out there that just uh, keep you from watching. And you know, especially if they are uh, more weird than creepy, I would love to hear about them. Yeah, we want to hear all kinds of stuff from you all. So get at us. But uh, until then, I suppose we can just uh, look forward to watching two more episodes next week on our podcast that we call Podventure Time. And uh, until then, of course, I've been Pat. And I've been Ben. And this has been Podventure Time. Could be jams and pickles down there. <laughs> <laughs>